we are going to continue on the topic of why follow this path, and we'll focus on meditation this evening. Last time we focused on the virtue aspect of the path, and talked about the various benefits that come from that. So, uh, yes, why meditate? Why do we do this? And of course, there are many different reasons. As a matter of fact, one of the things that is very helpful, I think, is uh, to continue to remind yourself of all of the different reasons that you meditate. And they'll change from day to day. You'll sit down one day and and you'll have uh, different reasons than you will the next. Uh, Or at least... It may be the same overall set of uh, reasons why you motivate being recycled, but on any given day, there's going to be a bigger emphasis on some than others. And, of course, there's the ultimate goal, which I hope that you all hold, which is that you're going to become awakened, you're going to become completely happy, free from all suffering, filled with compassion, your life's going to have perfect um, purpose and meaning, and uh, you're going to be a Buddha. That's the ultimate reason. But fortunately, there's a lot of other, you know, if if that were the only thing, and it was just a very struggle, there's all kinds of other rewards that come along the way. (coughs) And uh, I, I, I really think that one of the, one of the, big rewards of meditation that you get right away is the other people that you get to know and associate with. Yeah. So, so even even when somebody's just beginning and, you know, they're not experiencing a whole lot of any other kind of rewards yet, and it just seems like uh, a lot of mind-wandering and, and mental fuzziness and stuff is still... Still, all, all the wonderful people you get to associate with. And we have to, of course, keep in mind our, 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 our debt to and our gratitude for uh, uh, TCMC and all of the people who for many, many years have worked to make it possible as a place for people to come together to learn to learn to meditate, practice meditate, and to get to know each other. What about teachers? Teachers, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and all those wonderful teachers, too. Right. Can't forget those who, who uh, take the trouble to teach. Yeah. So, I could speak, I guess, in a sort of didactic kind of way about the benefits of meditation. I don't know. Is that where we want to go? Yeah? Okay. We've got, got one yes and no other responses. Yeah. <laughs> that's where we want to go. You mean to, to talk about the, talk about it in a didactic way or you mean just to talk about it? I'll just to, to, to talk about it. It, it. it will be didactic and probably boring until other people start Stimulating me by asking questions and making comments. What other way but didactic is there to talk about it? Well, is uh, we conversational and and topical and you know rather I mean rather than maybe didactic isn't the best word to describe it, but not. I'm going to end up being rather lectury until people make me stop. Make <laughs> you stop. So, what are the benefits of meditation in the beginning? Uh, Well, and what is the beginning? Well, if you are familiar with the ten stages, and I hope you all are, and if anybody isn't, please go to the Dharma Treasure website and download the uh, document that's called uh, Meditation Manual that describes the ten stages. So what is the beginning, and what is the middle, and 
what is the end of the meditation path. Well, in terms of those stages, the first, the first six stages are beginning and and. Well, the first three stages are real beginning. Just establishing a practice, going through the period where there's lots of mind wandering and lots of forgetting. Uh, those are the first three stages, and that's the beginning. And that's that's what usually takes a lot of people takes people a lot of time to get through those stages. Some people zoom right through them, but most people have a pretty extended period where they still forget what they're doing and mind wander, or then they get dozy and start uh, having to deal with illness. What are the rewards in those stages? That's a good thing to look at. You know, it's almost like a, an initiation. You have to get past that part before, before you truly get the rewards of membership. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there are, uh, there are rewards in those stages. I think most people, and you can tell me if you agree or disagree, I think most people long before they get to the point where they no longer, uh, where the mind no longer wanders, where they no longer forget the meditation object and get lost for a period of time. Long before they get to that point, they, they start to discover all kinds of benefits. One of the reasons that I would say that is part of what got me into teaching meditation was to discover how many people had been meditating literally for decades and still hadn't got past that point. And the only reason that they would have kept coming back for that long is there was some rewards. I think those rewards are that you do uh, you do acquire a lot of calm, a lot of clarity. Uh, you experience in your life more more stable attention and more mindfulness, and, and the benefits that those things bring. So e- even before you've mastered the the most basic level of, of skills in meditation, there's enough rewards to have gotten a lot of people started meditation and to keep on doing that for a long time. You agree? Mm-hmm. In your experience? Yeah. So what you're doing in meditation is you are you're training the mind, and you're specifically training the mind to stop the constant movement of attention which automatically by itself brings a certain amount of peace uh, and clarity because when the mind's constantly moving very quickly from one thing to another, you don't have too much experience of clarity. So there's a great increase in peace and clarity just as a result of, of beginning this process and engaging in it for a while. The other thing that comes is you start to get to know your own mind better. And this carries over into the rest of your life and you start to be able to, well, part of knowing yourself better uh, is being able to uh, be more who you want to be and be not quite so much at the mercy of your habits and your uh, uh, ingrained tendencies that... uh, uh, You've been carrying along with you like so much baggage for all of your life. You start to take control of who you are. So, I think that's one of the benefits that comes in those early stages. And of course, if the improvement in concentration is significant, one of the things that I remember noticing, I don't know if there, I'll say one thing, a lot of things happen that people don't notice. Uh, it's not until something draws your attention to it that you realize that, oh yeah, well that happened to me too. There's one that I noticed, and I don't know very many people notice that, but not too long after I began meditating seriously, I noticed my ability to read changed dramatically. That prior to that, there had been a not uncommon experience in my in, in process of reading a book where I'd have to go back and reread part of a page because my mind had kind of gone somewhere else. I think my eyes kept going over the words, and you know, but nothing was going in. And I noticed that stopped. That I could 
read a book and I could really read it. And not only that, there was a there was a greater level of comprehension and retention and so forth. Anybody else notice that? You notice that? Yeah. Uh, something similar that uh, I noticed, and this was partly because the kind of work I did involved interviewing people, and that's that my ability to listen to what somebody was saying got so much better. I used to always have to struggle and interview. There's some people you can talk to. And it's no problem at all. You just stay right there with them the whole time. But there's some people that it's just so hard. Your mind just wants to go somewhere else. And it does so, so easily. And I used to have to struggle with that in doing these interviews of prospective students. And uh, I noticed it made a big difference when meditation allowed me to listen to people and stay present much more easily. And, of course, that, I think, carries over into all of our other relationships as well. <clears throat> so just improved mental functioning in general, I, I think that's, those are benefits that we get in the very beginning of the process. And that sometimes meditators don't necessarily notice and appreciate all of those. But I think even if, they don't, if they're not consciously registering, that is part of what keeps them coming back. Continuing with the practice. But as you go along a little further, the benefits start to multiply. Yeah. Could we step back just a, a few paragraphs? You said that meditation helps us to become more of who we really are. Well, we, we come to understand who we really are as opposed <laughs> to the stories we make up in our mind about who we okay, are. Okay, so you're talking about getting back to who we essentially are is really our Buddha nature. Um, not yet. That really comes later. Really, I'm, I'm talking about somebody who's, who is reaping the very early benefits of meditation, which is becoming sufficiently self-aware to recognize that there's certain things about the way that they've been living their life, behaving, interacting with other people. This is who they are that they haven't recognized before. That they don't necessarily want to continue being that way. So the, so there's a part of the mind, because I'm still thinking about there are all these compartments, yeah. board members. So there's, there's parts of... So there's some part of us, uh, some part of the mind that recognizes that some of the board members are a little recalcitrant or a little bit, you know, uh, unappealing or a little bit, you know... Have some bad habits. Have some bad habits. (laughs) And and it's not that some one part of your mind is figuring this out. It's like, it's more the case that as a result of meditation, all the parts of the mind collectively start realizing that there's some parts of the mind that could use a little tweaking and improvement. It's kind of like it coming to the attention of the whole board that there's some members that don't bathe often enough. (laughs) Before it was only the ones that sat next to them. (laughs) I don't know where these these, uh, analogies come from. I have a question about your experience in the beginning and those being some of the benefits is um, did you find it tricky because you could have your mind telling you you know it's it's the two minds outside of here having that conversation oh this is who you really are no this is who you really are and you're not, neither of those yes that, that, that's right yeah we have we have all kinds of different ideas of who we what we really are. And uh, one of the things that meditation allows you to do is to notice that some of those don't really match with each other. They're incompatible. Who you are in one situation is not not really compatible with who you are in another situation. That's revealing. Then you get to make choices, of course. And one of the choices is, well, it's fine to be that way because we're all that way. And, you know, 
Uh, I've been doing this for years, but I'm still a, a different person with my children and my wife than I am with other people in my life, my parents, and so forth. So, just the more the more you become self-aware in this way, uh, well, you discover a lot that you weren't aware of before. And by knowing that, you get to decide whether you want more or less of these different things and make adjustments. Do you find that? Yeah, I, I would say at the most superficial level, and you mean that, that it is absolutely just a fascinating thing to be doing. Yeah. The fact that this exists even to me, it's like I could do it all day long. I'm not saying sit all day long. Yeah. I wish I could, but no. But I just mean mm-hmm. there's this much texture to my life and this much thing to work on, to play yeah. with. Exactly. And that is, as you, the more, the more your meditation develops, the more you have that experience of being mindful all of the time. And, and it's, it's wonderful. It's addictive. It gets to be the only way you want to be. You know, and you go through, uh, as a meditator, and, and I think that you're, that there's a number of you going to be able to relate to this description. You go from that place where you have periods of mindfulness in your daily life, which are wonderful and illuminating, which starts to make you want to be more mindful, and you start, uh, you have the desire, even the craving to be mindful, because it's so good. As you become more and more mindful, you begin to really, uh, really regret those periods that happen when you aren't very mindful. You really miss them and you lose mindfulness. It's like, oh, wow. And so you're moving in the direction of becoming more and more continuously mindful all the time. Yeah. What I find is I notice the thoughts and habits or behaviors that take me away from myself and who I really am. Yes, that's right. And that's been very helpful. Yeah. Although I just point out to you, you say they take you away from who you really are. But now, is that really true? Mm-hmm. You think so? <laughs> because, oh, yeah. because I, I think what I think, you know, and I may be wrong, but what I think is what you really are is somebody who wants and thinks they're this way and is discovering that they're not always. That what they really are is someone who is different than that image uh, at times. I'll think about it and let you know. If you're a person who certain kinds of things push a certain kind of button and make you act in a way, you know, that if you reflect on and acknowledge and accept, you say, Well, I I really wish I wasn't that way. But that, that is how you are. Every time that button gets pushed, you do react that way. So that is how you are. But you can change it. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to say along those lines, um, I have an experience recently, particularly where I'm, I'm constantly aware, almost constantly aware of of the parts of my mind that are trying to be a certain way, which makes me realize that I'm not any of those things. Yes. Which yes. isn't that kind of a point eventually. Uh, yes, that is. You're not anything. You're not the self. You're, I mean, there's no self. No. It just comes up without even my trying. Mm-hmm. It's, ah, yes. look at that, without even any judgment about it. It's just a look at that, look at that, look at that, look at that, but really fast, mm-hmm. in, in real time. In real time, yeah. You start to see yeah. what you really are as a whole collection of processes. Yeah. And, you know, like, like a, a stream of water flowing down a stream bed, the way it goes is directed by the stream bed, but still, there's no... There's no entity there. It's separate. It's a process. All process. Yes, Tim. Um, not having been one of these, um, I'm not sure, but I'm going to guess that an assassin uh, develops a great deal of mindfulness. The who? An assassin. An assassin. Yeah. Uh, 
right? And there is something different about that process mm -hmm. than uh, somebody that becomes yeah. a monk. Yeah, we could take as an example uh, of an assassin, a ninja. A lot of very sophisticated skills, but all supported by an incredibly high level of mindfulness. But there is a difference. All of that mindfulness is directed outwards. The only, the only application of mindfulness to a ninja assassin is in controlling their emotions and their reactions. Everything else is outward directed. So there's no self-discovery as such. Whereas a monk, it's just the opposite. The mindfulness they develop is, is very much a process of self-discovery and self-creation, shaping, molding themselves to molding the collection of processes that they are to take on a form that they wish uh, they well, wish it to take isn't on. Isn't the ninja manipulating? What's that? Isn't the ninja manipulating rather than... In terms of what they do with themselves? Yeah, but you said something... So is the monk. It's all manipulation. There is... Say more. Uh, just where is the motivation going? Yes. Okay. Yeah, they're both doing it. I I agree. A monk is yeah. trying to okay. practice uh, virtue, live in, in one particular way. A ninja is he's trying to shape himself, but he's trying to shape himself in such a way that he can successfully sneak into somebody's palace and assassinate the lord and get back out again in one piece. So. The roles are very different, but there's very, very much a process of shaping themselves. So then would it be just as detrimental to say that a ninja who didn't apply his outward mindfulness in an inward way would be just as detrimental as a monk who didn't apply his inward focus to his outer world? Yeah. If you don't have any mindfulness to what's outside of your own mind, you're going to have disastrous effect. <laughs> yeah. At that point of um, the awareness process, you talked earlier before the first stages of meditation. What is the difference between reflectiveness and meditation, or meditative approach? Well, you tell me first what you mean by reflectiveness. Um, when you when you watch your behavior in your pattern and you get more aware of it, mm -hmm. and you reflect on it, that's a meditative process too, right? Uh, yes. Well, uh, to to be able to be aware of your behavior and reflect on it means to be mindful. It is mindfulness. So it includes it. Uh, yes. When you're yeah. what you're doing in meditation is cultivating, amongst other things, mindfulness, which allow which gives you that ability to to become more fully aware of what you're doing and why you're doing it and whether or not it's what you want to be doing. And that's exactly, I think, what you're referring to as reflectiveness. Yeah. So, so the capacity to be reflective in that way is very much a part of meditation and one of the results, one of the beneficial results that you get from being a meditator. I'm step one, kind of, <laughs> yeah. even like before that. Yeah. This is my first time here, and my welcome. question was yes, welcome. Mm -hmm. um, my question was that you made a comment um, somewhat earlier about how through the beginning processes of meditation, processes of meditation, that you become aware of how your actions, uh, behaviors are different than what you thought, and that that in that moment you have. Ability to change that, and you can work with that to, to align yes. yourself more, right. your, your behavior more with who you want to become. Right. So, how do you how do you actually do that? And how do you actually do change? I mean, change what? Yeah. Well, it's a it's that's a very good question. Okay. And I uh, now the first thing you have to do is to be aware of what you're doing and why you're doing it. And sometimes that's as far as you get. You still say and do the same things that you would always do in that situation. But 
What's really important is if you can stay aware. You can watch yourself do this and know that you've done this before and watch the results it produces and recognize and be fully cognizant of the fact that these results are not what you really want and hold that in, in awareness. And when you do that, then next time it's going to be easier. Next time, maybe not necessarily the very next time, but maybe the very next time. But if you keep doing that, in those kinds of situations, you're going to find that you do have the ability to modify what you say and to modify what you do. It comes as a part of the process. As, as the mindfulness grows stronger, and you and, and the important thing is that you have the mindfulness has to continue. So if you just notice that you're doing or saying this thing, and then you don't hold the awareness of how it makes you feel after and what other things happen and so on and so forth. If you do what we're very prone to do, which is, ooh, I wish I had not, I'm not gonna look at that, I'm gonna pretend it never happened, or I'm going to think of all kinds of reasons to justify that the it's not going to make any difference. You have to really look at it. But if you look at it, it changes you in a way that makes it easier not to do it. Okay? You might still have the same emotional reaction. You might really still feel very, very strongly like saying that thing to somebody. But you can restrain yourself from it. If you continue to watch and observe, and part of that is observing that even the emotional state that has arisen it doesn't feel good, it's not making you happy, uh, it disrupts your ability to function for, who knows, hours afterwards sometimes. If you're aware of that, the effect it's going to have is you're going to stop reacting so strongly. The emotion's not going to be as strong in the future. So this is how the change takes place. So in terms of how do you do that, it's all, all of the doing... Uh, depends on awareness, and then the actual doing as such is more uh, a combination of, of restraining yourself and continuing to be aware. So it's not like you have to actually, you know, get in there and rearrange your mind or anything. So be aware as you can during the process yeah. and being gentle with yourself when you, when you slip and looking back. That's right, yeah. I, I work as a trauma nurse and things go so fast and I, and I get I have a lot of anxiety and yeah. and it's hard for me to I, I want to believe that I can train my mind to be to be more calm <laughs> well yes and, and so meditation it, it will help you to do that it will help you to become more calm it will also help you to become more aware of why your mind is reacting to the situation that you're in in the way that it does. And, and as that happens, you'll change. You'll, and, and what will happen, there's probably a certain amount of anxiety, and some of this may be rooted all the way back to how you were treated as a child in certain situations, things like that. But it's coming up and it's affecting both your emotions and your mental state. And that affects how clearly you can think and how well you can function, and most especially how it feels at the time. So when that stuff starts to become clear, and when it starts to resolve itself, and it really does resolve itself, it's not that you go and fix it. As it resolves itself, you'll, you'll react differently. You'll react differently emotionally. Your mental state will be... Uh, of, of a sort that's more more functionally useful and appropriate in the situation that you're in, and you will be you will feel less uncomfortable and less disturbed as time goes by. And so, as a trauma nurse, that would be a great place to be, right? <laughs> but I guarantee you, everybody in this room's life is filled with situations where the more they can be in that place, the better the better their life is going to be. Actually, uh, some of the other things that happen in meditation, you learn to deal with pain, because sitting still for a long time 
it's uncomfortable, and then sometimes it gets to be painful, and you get to meditate on pain, and you discover the nature of pain, and you learn to deal with pain in far more helpful ways than you used to in the past. Um, along the same lines of what we were just talking about previously, you have you will have the experience of a lot of the old stuff that you've been carrying around all your life. Uh, uh, everybody has some amount of psychic trauma. Everybody has stuff buried in the back of their mind that they really regret, and if uh, anything ever triggers the memory, they have a mental flinch. At the, you know what I'm talking about? We all have that kind of stuff. Right? And meditation, it comes up, and it gives you a chance to to get square with that stuff and let it go. So it's not there anymore. It's not creating problems for you anymore in the same way. But these are all the kinds of benefits that come fairly early on in the process of meditation. Yeah. I hear you use the word react a lot. Is there a point in time when you stop reacting? Well... And something else happens? Yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, that's one of the places that you want to... that's really important to get to. Because everything that's ever happened in our life has kind of created programming. And so we tend to respond to every situation on the basis of that programming. And what that does is the programming kicks in and we often don't see what we're reacting to very clearly. You know what I mean? Yeah, we have that experience. Of, uh, that's that's a re that's a typical reaction. I mean, sometimes a reaction is useful. You know, kid runs out in the street and puts your foot on the brake. That's a really good, useful reaction. But sometimes somebody's saying something to you, and they're not saying what you think they are, but you react to what you think they're saying, and that's terrible. And that happens. So you're not responding to the feedback. You're reacting to. It. Yeah, you're reacting. So through meditation, at some point, do you like start responding and exercising some agency? That's right. More and more often, you're responding instead of reacting. You can, see, you know, and and what happens is you begin to see your reaction arise, and it gives you that opportunity to make a choice. I'm either going to let this reaction drive what happens in the next sure. few minutes, or I'm going to step back and choose my response. And that's very liberating. This is the kinds of things that people, when they get to the fourth and fifth stage of meditation, undergo a lot of this internal processing and purification. When you speak about restrictive um, response, mm -hmm. it's mostly related to so-called negative things when you when you want to change a pattern and, and whatever it is. But the Buddhist teachings say both sides, yeah. right? Aversion and desire should yeah. be connected. So I'm wondering about joy, exuberance, in the moment responding spontaneously. Should we restrict that too? There is so much fun in well, it. Well, no, I mean, it, it's, it's really not about restricting. It's about, it's about being aware, understanding what's going on, and being able to make choices, being able to respond rather than react. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... Um, we have, we have, one of the things you can choose to do is reinforce your positive reactions, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we all have a wonderful side to us. It's just a question of how often we let it come through. But in certain situations, you'll find that, that an, an inner, a strong inner sense of, Generosity or love or kindness or, or an urge to help somebody comes forth. And it, it, may, it may be a programmed reaction in some cases, but the thing is that you could say that I'd like this to become not just a reaction in these cases, I'd like this to become a, a response in a much larger number of situations. I want to become, this to become more of the kind of way I respond you know, so I, I don't just respond this way to little puppies, but also old people. <laughs> yeah. So it's it, it's not about 
stopping your reactions. It's about having the choice to respond. And uh, actually, the way we're designed, you're always going to, in every moment, you're going to have to rely on your previous conditioning to, to generate a limited number of possibilities of the way that you're going to. Right? You don't have the time between when somebody says something to you and you need to respond to it to do a universe of analysis. <laughs> so you're all, there's always going to be the conditioning and some component of reaction, but you want to get to the place where it's not just one program response reaction that comes up, but there's, you have a variety of choices and you get to you get to steer yourself in the direction that you want to go. It's uh, in terms of we talked earlier about who you really are. You discover who you really are, which is kind of an accidental creation. But in the process of discovery, you become capable of making it into an intentional creation. So you, the, the monk that goes into the monastery is one kind of person. But as he learns more and as he practices, he creates who he will be in the future. And this is true of every one of us. We're always creating ourselves. We're always a different person tomorrow than we were today. All of us, absolutely. The difference is that when you learn and understand that you can create yourself consciously rather than letting that creation happen haphazardly. That's where we want to get to. So it doesn't matter what the emotion is, what's the important part is choosing. The important part is? To choose. The ability to choose, no matter what the emotion is. Yes, no matter what the emotion is. And part of the choice, though, is going to change the kinds of emotions that you're subject to. Um, how many people are subject to anger? <laughs> Can you imagine never experience anger? Could you, could you imagine being in a place where you never really got angry? Sometimes you felt annoyed, but you never really got angry. Can you imagine being there? Yeah, you can imagine being it. Do a lot of work. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, that will be the result of bringing awareness to every episode of anger and annoyance in your life. Because if you bring awareness to it, you're going to quickly realize that you could do with a whole lot less of it. And if you keep on observing the consequences of it, how it arises, in other words, you bring mindfulness to it, what you're going to experience is that you're going to just naturally start having less and less of it. And you will get to a place where, you know, you probably won't notice it until something triggers you to it. You say, oh my gosh, I just don't get angry anymore. You'll be able to honestly say that. Is there also a knowledge component to this in that you, you might start out with an idea that, oh, people are mostly like out to get me or something. And then at some point you realize that maybe that's not actually true or something similar. You realize that everybody's trying just to you know, make themselves happy. I, I'm wondering if not, you're not, other than just retraining your responses, there's also an actual seeing of mm -hmm. how things are that modifies your yes. behavior. Yes, there are. There, there is. A, there are insights. These are mundane insights, but they're important insights. They're only mundane as compared to super mundane insight. But I mentioned one of them. If you observe yourself when anger arises, you'll have you'll have an aha moment of epiphany of, my God, it would be really nice not to have this happen anymore. That's an insight. That's a knowledge moment. And there's many of those, and and those are really important. Um, you have to keep in mind, though, that those kinds of intellectual insights by themselves are not going to change. Just, just no matter how clearly you understand that that anger causes me a lot of problems in my life, and I'd be better off not getting angry. It's not going to change. There's another kind of work that has to take place, and it is possible to make those kinds of changes without ever having those insights, those knowledge moments. 
which is a good thing because otherwise we'd say, well, uh, the only people who are going to be especially successful on this path are the ones that are bright enough to figure things out as they go along. And that's not true. <laughs> so, but there's definitely, you will, you will have all kinds of insights into uh, the way you are, why you are that way, whether or not you want to be that way. And those are really important. They, they are a very important part of the process. They provide the motivation. <laughs> they don't provide the change. They don't provide the change in and of themselves, but they often are just what you need to lead lead you to do the things that will make the change. So, as we continue looking at the benefits of meditation, uh, meditation brings a person into a state of joy. A joy that comes from within. Uh, the result of a state of joy is that you feel a lot of happiness. And a result of being in a state of joy and happiness means that other things don't bother you nearly as much. And so this is one of the fruits of meditation. It is, it's one that comes at about the same time that you really mastered to a large degree the basic skills of mindfulness and stability of attention. Because both the joy and the stability of attention and mindfulness, the skills on one hand and the, and the mental state of joy on the other, they're both reflections of the fact that this multi-part mind of yours is starting to function as a more harmonious whole. You experience a unification of mind. And that, that results in a mind, that more unified mind is a more joyful mind, which is a more happy mind, and is a less, less perturbed mind. It's also a mind that, by functioning in a more coherent and cooperative manner, allows it to use all of its faculties much more effective. And so you experience much more stability, inner calm and mindfulness as a result of that. Greater clarity. So these are, these are, as you get a little more advanced in the process, I call it in terms of the beginning, middle, end, we're now starting to talk about the middle benefits of the meditation process. Yeah, yeah if I could interject here just a little bit because this would be very helpful for me before we get too far down is um, so let me see if I can make sure I catch up right there. So <clears throat> As you have some of those wonderful beginnings to discovering what you are, seeing things as they are at the very, very beginning. And then as you're mentioning now, the middle stages of starting to, um, I don't remember the words you just used, but be okay or start to... My experience has been before that happens, there's a stage in between which is actually worse than even starting meditation, which is suddenly you're aware of everything and all your irritants. And when that is going on, without having a teacher or a congregation, mm -hmm. it's very easy to recoil and go deeper into yeah. being. So, um, I've had the problem of getting to that only to there and <coughs> reacting to, instead of breaking through that little barrier, mm -hmm. um, it's been helpful because I've had teachers now this, this and people to talk to but it's almost like it's all purging out of you and so suddenly you're encased in it all and you're more aware of your irritants yeah um before you're before you become able to let go of them yes you're absolutely right and that's that's a, a theme that we could develop and spend some time talking about it happens over and over again it also happens uh when you begin to meditate, you be, you become aware of how active your mind is. And some people, you know, when they begin, they've not been meditating long, just a few weeks, and they say, I can't do this anymore. It's make, it's instead of calming my mind, it's making my mind more active. It's not. You're just becoming aware of it. And the thing is that there's a whole lot of things about the way we are that we're not aware of. And when we do become aware of them, 
it, it doesn't make us feel terribly good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that that happens over and over again in the process. As it, True stages. And, and, yes, uh, as, as you continue to develop. And there's even a, a, a very notorious uh, aspect of that that happens when we get towards the, the culmination of the process, the insights that lead to awakening. There's a kind of dark night of the soul period. And that's it's the same thing. It repeats over and over again. As you become as you become more fully aware, as you discover more and more about yourself and about the true nature of reality, you go through these periods of, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it can be very visceral. It can, it, it, it can be, it is. It can, yeah. Do those, um, those periods seem in our minds to get worse and worse? When you said the dark night of the soul before the awakening, that's, that's pretty frightening. Like, what? It, it's going to get worse than this again and again and again? Or does it get... Does it get... <laughs> does it get progressively less worse than it's not going to get <laughs> Uh, <laughs> if Adam was here, he'd be asking the same question. If Adam was here, what? He would be asking the same question. Yes, he would be asking the same question. Right? Give us okay. the good news first, please. <laughs> <laughs> the, the good news first, first is that uh, as, as it goes along, your if if. There's some variation in this. It depends on how you're practicing and what kind of practicing you're doing. That's some technical things. But as as you ascend the mountain, yes, you keep coming across these cliffs you've got to climb. And the higher on the mountain you get, the, the, the steeper they are. But the good news is that as you get to them, you're far more capable of climbing them than you ever were before. So. And you have more resources. Yeah. You know, the, the, for those people for whom, uh, you see, there's all kinds of degrees in which these things can happen. And we talk about the, the, the knowledges of suffering, the dukkha knowledges, the dark night of the soul that happens just before the awakening. Well, not just before. It happens a few stages before, but you know, it's in that vicinity. It is of nature that somebody who hadn't done the work to arrive at that place, if they were suddenly thrown into that, would probably sink so deeply in despair that they couldn't even commit the suicide that they wanted to. <laughs> So, depending on depending on a person's personal development, the kind of meditation practice they're doing, and the kind of guidance they've had, they may experience that of a few days of just laying on the couch, and they just you know their life seems pointless, and you know I I'm not even going to get up to make myself a cup of tea, or they might have it as just like from a place of perfect calm and tranquility and equanimity with a mind of joy. They see, oh yes, my, these emotions are arising in my mind as my mind discovers a new way of seeing the world. And it doesn't really face them at all. It can take all these different forms. No matter what form it takes, what's actually happening at that particular stage is the deepest unconscious parts of your mind are realizing that the assumptions that they had worked on your entire life are false. And they are having to do the painful work of reprogramming the way they interpret everything you see and do and experience. Um, well, I said painful. No, it's not painful. It's just work. They have to do that work. It becomes painful to the degree that there is resistance. You know, when you realize that I'm not really the self that I thought I was, part of your mind can react by saying, oh my God, we're going to die. Or, oh my God, I'm dying. 
right? But it doesn't have to happen that way. It, it, it can happen in a different way. When that realization is changing the way you think of yourself, you can just have a part of your mind say, oh wow, this is scary. I'm going to jump off the cliff and I sure hope I can fly. But we, we kind of got, we jumped from the middle to the end. <laughs> and since the, we're getting close to the time to go, I just want to point out to you, it, it's good and it gets better and better and better and better. Along the way, as you kind of reach new plateaus of awareness and understanding, your mind has to adapt to a level of understanding that can be a challenge. And you described one, I described one that happened before that, and now we've just talked about one that happens further along in the process. So there are several different places that you, you go through this adaptation to a new level of understanding. And it can be associated with a greater or lesser degree of emotional discomfort. And let's put it this way. When you reach those stages, yes, there is some emotional discomfort. It can be a lot or it can be a little. But there are also, it doesn't ever have to really be a lot. So the dark night literally could be one night. It can, it can be one night and it can even be a moonlit night. <laughs> I wonder if, now hearing you say that and having some hind, hindsight to experiencing some of those early stages of that, I almost feel like I seek it out. Like that deeper, darker place, as if that's the whole point of this. Well, and there are some approaches to the practice that guide you to do that. They want to throw you right into the lion's jaw, so to speak. Yeah. Um, the, the advantage of that is... You know, if you've arrived at that point with enough stamina, then you know you're, you you'll get through it, and you'll it's a way of progressing more quickly. And so, if you have the tendency to do that, there's two things I'll say. You have the tendency to do that up to a certain point. It it will serve you because you know you, you what it means is uh, you're you're not hesitant to confront the hard parts. And that's always good. Yeah, I don't mean egotistically. Like, no, I, mean, I don't find it, but I mean, I mean knowing that that's what's coming. Knowing that that's what's coming, and you say, okay, let's, let's get on with it. Let's get let's it. do the work. Yeah, let's do the work. Yeah. And that's really good. Not, not being hesitant to do what you need to do. That's a really wonderful thing. There is another part to it, though. And you have to ask yourself, why... Why is my mind inclined to do that? Okay, And uh, you may never know, but also in the process, what you might find out is it's some old programming and they, there's something even there behind that that you can let go of. 